This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking, the show about the most interesting people in stories in Mississippi. I am your host, Marshall Ramsey, editor-at-large and editorial cartoonist with Mississippi Today. Some people chase money, others chase fame, but then there's those who identify as hardcore hurricane chasers. And my next guest is one of those brave individuals and a self-proclaimed adrenaline junkie. He's a storm chaser, researcher, businessman, TV personality, Josh Morgerman, and he's got a fantastic new show that we're going to be touching on as well today called Mission Hurricane. Fantastic show. Highly recommend it. Um, he's now a resident of Bay St. Louis, which is pretty cool, and is best known for his multitude of tropical cyclone chases. And he's got 30 years under his belt, plus over 60 hurricane uh, eye penetrations. Um, pretty incredible. Anyway, great story. Glad to have him on the air with us today. And so we're going to find out a little bit what it's like to uh, be literally in the eye of the storm. Jermaine, good morning. I just want to say a quick hello to you. Good morning. <laughs> I know. I know. I was like, okay, calm. If, I'm we, here. I'm here, Marshall. We're here. We're here. We had a good weekend, of course, <laughs> and did. you enjoyed the royal wedding. I know you watched every single second of it like I did. Oh, yeah. I mean, glued. No. Yeah, no. Can you but imagine, seriously, some of it in. W- ter- waiting 74 years for your job? I know, right? But he knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. I mean, he knew it was coming, but you know, every time he walked in the room with his mom, he went, boo. (laughs) He's just trying to get that job. But anyway, I watched a little bit of that. Josh thought that was funny. I heard him just chuckle right now. (laughs) I did. I did. (laughs) I know. Apparently, the perks are pretty good with the job once you get it. It just takes a long time to get there. I know know William's going, going, at least I don't have to wait that long. Right. Because there's no way dad's going to croak at 150. He's been wanting to wear that crown, though. He looked real happy with it all and it looked pretty awkward with it there there yeah. was a couple of, well yeah no anyway um anyway good for him it was great mm-hmm. um it was a good weekend otherwise i'm glad you had a good weekend I did. went to an air show that was fun over i did, in Louisiana, I did so. laundry so that was fun yeah no it's like <laughs> incredibly domestic as well <laughs> and, and and of course josh is on with us right now josh morgerman the show is uh, fantastic. It's Mission Hurricane. Uh, you can get it on Weather Spy, which I downloaded the app on my phone and then on my television as well and binged all six episodes that are out so far over the weekend. Fantastic. Josh, man, it's good to be able to finally get to talk to you in person. Marshall, I can't believe we're finally talking after years of Twitter ple- ple- pleasantries. Here we are. We're talking. Well, I mean, this Very is cool. th- this is literally proof that that Twitter is not all bad, you know, because you do actually get to know people and meet people and everything else. And I, I've, of course, admired you for your 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 chasing and everything else. But it's just kind of fun seeing your experience now in Bay St. Louis and, and seeing how much you're enjoying being there and so forth, too. So um, and I'm glad to have you in the state. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And I'd hi, Jermaine. I just want to make sure I had everybody. Oh yeah! So. Oh, very good. Yeah, Jermaine. Yeah, no, she's she's actually very friendly. So, uh, <laughs> hi, Josh. <laughs> I'm, I'm not just saying that because she'll like shut off my mic, which has happened today already. I will say, I will do that. <laughs> yes, and she will do that as well. But anyway, congratulations on the show, and it's doing well. I hear uh, it's you know people are finding it, and and it's really well done. Thank you. Yeah, no, we worked really hard on it. I mean, uh, 
you know, the behind the scenes, you know, in making a show, it's, it's so much work and honestly just uh, like drudgery between, uh, you know, working with the director and the producers to develop the stories to shooting to then post-production to then publicizing and promoting the show. I mean, it is, it is, it's kind of like, it, it's, it's hard work. So, uh, it's really nice when after all that, you know, you hear that, okay, people are watching it. It's rating well. It's like, you're like, okay, cool. Finally, you feel a little vindication after all that. So that's very cool. Yeah. There, I would imagine it would be very sad. And, and if it were like a hurricane that fizzled out right by the coast and you were sitting there waiting for it and nothing happened. Oh yeah. No, listen, I mean, I've been doing TV a while and I've been in a few series and I'm, you know, I like one of my, you know, there's another series I was starring in that it, you know, did well in some countries, but not in others. And I remember, you know, when, you know, when a certain market, when your show would premiere and it would just kind of bomb, you know, it happens to everybody and it's just like, ouch. And, you know, you take it really personally when when you're starring in the show. (laughs) Oh, I mean, believe me, I've done that over the years. I'll do like put a lot of effort into a book or into a cartoon or something. And I think it's really nothing. And then I like literally just throw something together and boom, it takes off. And I'm like, I gave up even trying. But the thing I think, and I'm not the media critic for Mississippi Public Broadcasting, so I'll just say this. But that said, I've watched a lot of weather shows over the years because I'm like you. I kind of became addicted to it as a child uh, into weather. And the thing I really like about it is kind of a nice mix between understanding the, the terror and the violence of what a hurricane can do and the destruction, but also, too, kind of your observations and really the humanity that you bring to it, too. You've done a great job just kind of bringing your personal experience into each episode episode. And, and so good job on that. Oh, th- thank you so much. And, you know, I have to give credit to the director that I was working with because he, he, uh, his name was Paul Emerson and he was, the, he was the main <clears throat> director for the series. And he worked really hard to kind of dig out the personal angle from me because me, I'm such a weather nerd that like, I'm all like, you know, I want to just really just talk about the hurricane. And he's like, no, no, we have to, you know, we have to bring out your character and your experiences and what you're noticing and kind of the, the humanity angle. It's not that I never have it, but he really wanted to bring that out. And I think that's, you know, you're seeing that is that, uh, you know, that was kind of his vision to kind of give it other layers. So it's not just, okay, a show about a hurricane. Yeah. I think the metaphor, the, the perfect metaphor on how hurricanes not only shape the landscape around them, but also you is one, and I think it was Agatha. Uh, it may have been Agatha, but anyway, the sand from the beach had sandblasted the paint off of everything. And, and, yep. uh, and you yep. know, obviously a hurricane is going to just, um, we know that personally here in Mississippi. We know that along the Mississippi Gulf Coast, uh, of course, Katrina and Camille, we've had some huge hurricanes over the years. But it's, it's like I said, it's just fascinating how you tell the stories. And we'll touch on that a little bit and probably in the next segment about how each each um, hurricane that you have, particularly some of the bigger ones, have, have changed you personally as well. You mentioned you're a weather geek and a nerd. And I think you kind of got hooked on it the same way I did. Uh, there was a movie that came out in, I think, 1937 that had a tornado in it, uh, Wizard of Oz. And I don't know if that affected you, but I think that was kind of what got you interested in, in weather, wasn't it? It, that was one of a few things. I definitely remember just being a toddler and watching The Wizard of Oz, and that was like my favorite scene was that tornado. You know, it just like, you know, it created so much curiosity. I was like, God, like, what is that? That's so crazy. And what's interesting is when you watch that movie now, it is still, even now, you know, how many, almost like 90 years later, it's still excellent special effects. It's still really convincing. They did such a good job with it, the studio, without CGI or anything. 
Um, and then I would say, you know, the other thing was I grew up on the East Coast on Long Island, which, uh, you know, for Mississippians who aren't familiar, it's like this big sort of suburban island next to New York City. It's where I grew up. You know, we would have hurricanes on occasion, not the kind we get down here on the Gulf Coast. They're a little, they're not quite as crazy up there because the water's colder, so they're kind of unraveling by the time they get up there. But we got a couple of hurricanes when I was growing up, and I think those made a strong impression on me. You know, I just remember... You know, even when I was a little kid, just when a hurricane was coming up the coast and the wind would start to blow and the house would rattle, I just, you know, it was like a drug for me. I would just get, like, excited by it, you know. And I think a lot of storm chasers, the the hardcore full-time ones like me, you know, I think you're kind of, it's almost like you're born with it, you know. It's just like it's, it's it's, it's just there's something about your DNA that you just get excited by violent weather. You know, I'm, I'm I'm laughing because I I completely understand that. And uh, okay, good. Yeah, I no, like I mean I totally get. It. That, I mean, but... you know, I mean I literally um, was terrified of tornadoes as a child, and here I am living right in the bullseye of Dixie Alley. You know, where we, yep. you know, we had Rolling yep. Fork not long ago, where you know, absolutely yep. uh, the worst damage I've seen since Katrina was, was absolutely terrifying. But it was Hurricane Bob that that was the one, and was was one oh, of wow. your first chases, wasn't it? Yeah, actually, Bob was my, in 1991, yeah. in New England, was my very first chase. Not my first hurricane, because the first yeah. couple of hurricanes I was in came to me. But yes, that was my very first chase. I was very young. I was, I was too young to rent a car or anything. And of course, this was before the internet and mobile phones and this and that. So I, I chased it on a train. <laughs> Literally, you chased it on a train. One train. Yeah, I mean, it was insane. I, I mean, it was, this is like so primitive. I chased, there was one train that went from Washington, D.C. to New York. And then at Grand Central Station, I got on another train going along the, the New England coast to Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, all I had was a duffel bag with like a, you know, two changes of clothes, uh, you know, $200 cash and like a paper map and a pencil. This was, you know, before anything <laughs> We did anything digital. Yeah. yeah, there was no radar. There was no, I mean, it was so primitive. I, I can't even believe, like, I look back at that. It, it seems, I mean, it seems like from another era. Well, it, it was from another era. I mean, it was literally 30 years ago. Yeah, the Wright brothers gave you a flight and, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> it was like at that level, seriously. And, and you, you whipped know? out your camera it's with the cool tape having- in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, but even it was even more primitive than that, because get this, folks think of storm chasers as like, okay, cameras glued to you. It's all about getting footage. My first few chases, and this is going to sound completely nuts to, you know, storm chasers now. My first few chases, I didn't even bring a camera, not a video camera, not a still camera, because it wasn't it wasn't about documenting it. It was just about it was like, it was like about taking drugs. It was just about being in the moment and feeling it in that moment. And that was all that mattered. It wasn't about catching a cool video. YouTube didn't exist. You know, it was just, it it was just about being in it and feeling it in that moment. And and that was all that mattered. And, uh, and, you know, I kind of miss it in a way because I'll tell you, you know, between my TV work and shooting, and also I collect data inside the hurricanes now, which is my big passion about collecting data, um, that, you know, the TV work, the, um, the social media, all of it, you know, I feel like I'm kind of doing a million things during a hurricane now, and I'm not just like focusing on it and feeling it, you know, like I used to. Yeah. I mean, I've never been, I mean, I wasn't on the coast during Katrina. I was up here. So, uh, but I mean, we've had enough of them come through that were still category one or, or high end tropical storms. There's almost like an electric feel, isn't there in the atmosphere? And I don't know if that's just anxiety or what, but it seems like when something, when there's a landfall 
in hurricane, you just can almost feel it in your bones. There's something, there's some kind of magical quality. I think, I think there, there's a reason that I keep chasing hurricanes, you know, that I've been doing this for 30 years and I don't stop. But I think that there is for me, when I get inside a hurricane, like a landfall hurricane, there is a, yeah, I'll just call it like a magical quality. Like even to me, and I've been in more hurricanes than anyone living or dead. Even wow. for me, there's this, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm at 67 in terms of getting in the eye wall, 67 yeah. hurricanes and typhoons. And I don't, I'm not aware of anyone who's been in more on the ground. I can't speak for the, the, the folks who fly planes into them to collect data. There might, maybe someone has more up there, but on the ground, I, I'm the world record holder. Um, but there's something, there's something otherworldly about it. Like even after all the hurricanes I've been in, it still seems like, especially when I'm in a bad one, it still seems like just not real like they're like like i can't believe that this crazy thing that is happening this violence this anger that you're feeling that actually it's just this natural part of the earth's processes it's because there was you know a lot of uh, warm water that caused vapor to rise and because of the coriolis effect it, it started to spin blah 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 it, you forget that it's just this natural process it feels malevolent like this monster and there's something so fascinating about that and you can see how like ancient people you know who had no science that they they thought like when they would be in a hurricane they would thought it was like the gods punishing them because it, it totally feels that way you know and i've been in hurricanes where you know the building i'm in is starting to blow apart the windows are breaking the doors are blowing off and you feel like you're in a monster movie and you feel like the, like the monsters are trying to come in and get you. I mean, it totally feels that way, even to me, even to somebody who understands what it is. Yeah, I would say I, I would anytime I'm on the coast and there's a storm coming, I'm going to give you a call because you've got two major gifts I've noticed. Number one, you can tell which building is probably the most structurally sound. And, and number <laughs> yeah. two, you can pretty much guess elevation without having to measure anything. You know where the high ground is every time. And it, and it makes the difference in survival. I think it, it you know, obviously. And we'll talk about the particular hurricanes, but Haiyan, that was one in, in the Philippines. I think you chose very wisely on that building. And then the second yeah. one was Patricia in Mexico. And um, that hotel, you know, you were lucky to get out of that one in one piece. And you just managed to get into the right place at the right time. So, um, and I know that's the thing. Experience is, because you don't, that's the thing. You don't have a meteorology degree. You actually went to Harvard and got a liberal arts degree, but experience has taught you um, you've got several doctorates with experience. <laughs> That's a way to put it. First of all, I want to praise you for boiling down hurricane safety into like a, a great just two second soundbite, because what you said is you basically summarized exactly what I say to people like when I'm on when I'm doing a media hit and I want to give people really quick advice. Those are the two things that you said are what I said, which is one. Make sure you're high enough so that the storm surge doesn't get you and make sure you're in some kind of structure that's strong enough to withstand the winds. If you do those two things, you're good. So you, uh, you got it there. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, as you said, I didn't study meteorology and I, I wanted to when I was younger and my, my father, you know, my parents, I had the kind of parents that kind of made most of the decisions for me, like including like where I applied to college and where I went. But, um, my dad was like, no, no, you're a, you're a liberal, you're a liberal arts person. You're more artistic. You're going to like, you're, you're not going to study meteorology. So it's kind of like pushed me away from it. Now here's the deal. I actually think he was right because my friends who are meteorologists, you know, most of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are just kind of like, they're, they're stuck in offices kind of forecasting and stuff. Whereas me, you know, 
I am, you know, I, I am kind of like, you know, it's sort of like what I do is sort of a mix of extreme sports and journalism and kind of storytelling. It actually, believe it or not, I feel like my education and everything fits what I do and I feel good about it. And the other thing which is interesting is even though I'm not a scientist, I actually do play a role in the scientific community. So my biggest thrill now, and I don't want to nerd out too much on your like, you know, listeners who are not weather nerds, but my biggest thrill now is um, when I hunt down a hurricane that's coming ashore in some remote place, say like in a developing nation where there's like no weather stations and stuff. My biggest thrill is getting inside the eye, collecting really valuable data, and then getting this data to scientists so that they have some kind of ground truth afterward about what happened, which they otherwise wouldn't have. Um, so, so scientists like the National Hurricane Center use my data a lot, especially with landfalling Mexican hurricanes, because a lot of the Mexican coast has very low population density. So a lot of times my data are the only ground truth that they have. And that's kind of awesome. So I say I'm the, uh, I'm the scientist hunting dog. Yeah, I was really impressed. I mean, the, the, um, American Meteorological Society published one of your papers, um, uh, based on Patricia, so I thought that was pretty impressive as well. Tell you what, we're going to take well, a quick. I was excited about that. Yeah, was, for rightfully that was, that so. That was a big paper. It was all these PhDs, and they actually invited me to be a co-author because I collected the data at the landfall point. So yeah, it was all these PhDs and me. I was I was a co-author, and I was really honored that they asked me, and it was very cool. And I felt, of course, very legitimized. <laughs> so yeah, and you're the guy that's whenever you see the meme of the guy standing out there holding up the thing up in the air, that's you measuring wind speed. So uh, <laughs> yeah. this is now your. You're talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm Marshall Ramsey, and we're on right now with the host and star of Mission Hurricane, which is on Weather Spy, which you can download the app on your TV and on your phone. And that's how I watched it over the weekend. All six episodes that are out there, fantastic. We have Josh Morgerman in the studio, and he is now reciting. Are you there pretty much full time now in Bay St. Louis, or are you still doing it just during the season? I divide my time basically about half the year in Southern California yeah. and half the year in Bay St. Louis. Yeah, that, that, you know, I get that. California's nice and so forth. And, but it's a perfect location for you if you're number one, you're halfway in between going between Miami and Corpus Christi uh, along the Gulf Coast, but you're also near New Orleans and you can hop a plane and go all around the world, which you do to chase. Exactly. I mean, the, this spot, it, it scratches several itches. It's really, like you said, it's a nice midpoint along the Gulf Coast. And, and also, I just, um, you know, I, I am actually genuinely kind of extremely fond of coastal Mississippi. Yeah, Bay St. Louis is pretty awesome. And, and they've done an amazing job recovering after, it's, of course, it's almost 20 years now, which blows my mind. But they've done an amazing job recovering after after Katrina. Oh, it, it's it's incredible. You know, I've been renting. I'm building a house now, but up until the, this point, I've been renting a cottage. And my my landlord's son, he just he just he, in a very frank moment one day, he said to me, he said, you know, Katrina was the best thing that ever happened to this town. And I thought maybe that was politically incorrect for him to say, but but you know, he talked about just you know comparing what it is now to what it was before. And and uh, you know, I, I I was only here once before. Katrina and I was I was very young I was in my 20s and it was a, it was sort of a drunken night of partying I don't remember it too well but you know it's it is really when you look at the pictures and everything you could see how it's transformed especially the downtown area yeah it, you know we were there my wife and I we went to a convention at the casino I guess it was about a week before Katrina and I remember oh, wow. and I remember us of course you know I'd done a book tour down there like three weeks before so I got to go up and down the whole coast so I've got really a lot of pictures a lot of memories of you know a lot of the homes and so forth that are no longer there but I remember yeah. driving along the beach and just pointing I was like hey 
this is like the place to be because it didn't really flood that bad during Camille, you know, and it was just, and then it hit. And of course, Katrina was just a whole day. And that people always say that Katrina killed was Camille killing its last victims because a lot of people remembered Camille yep. and they stayed in place yep. and then they didn't leave. And then they ended up having to swim for their lives. And of course, if they could, if they were on, especially if they were on the beach side of the railroad track. So it was, uh, it was incredible. But that said, knowing you and knowing your knowledge of elevation and of construction, my house is going to be next to your house. <laughs> that's, no, I, I think that's probably. I think a pretty pretty good gamble. Although I have to say, you know, I'm, where I'm building my house, there is some slight risk. And you know, this is the thing. It's like a, as a storm chaser, you live your your life is all about calculated risks. You know, it's it's not. If I wanted to be 100 percent safe, I would never. Right. I would never. I wouldn't leave the house and chase. And you know, where I'm building in Bay St. Louis, like, listen, if I was really, really, really scared of storm surge and I wanted to make absolutely certain that I was never ever going to be touched by it, I'd build a house up in Hattiesburg. You know. So, so there is some risk, but I would say the risk I'm taking is a calculated one based on, you know, elevation, climatology, and other things. And I think that, you know, where I'm building my house is, I think it's cool. I think the laws of probability say uh, Stormtrooper okay. is not going to reach the house while I'm living. Yeah, you'll, you'll be okay. And, and also, too, the thing about Hattiesburg, which is a great town also, but they got whacked with tornadoes and pine trees falling down everywhere during Katrina yep. also. So it was like, you know, you, you're going to have a different risk no matter what. But like say, Bay St. Louis is incredible. I'm glad you're there. I hope to get down there soon. Maybe I can just say hello and we can have a, an adult beverage together and, and just, uh, you know, it'd, it'd be great. But, you know... I you look at, I'm about to say, if you want to be safe, you'd still be in Eastern Europe, which still blows my mind that you lived over there for a while. And that had to drive you crazy because you couldn't chase anything over there. It, it was, you know, it was, a, it was a phase of my life, you know, during most of my thirties, I lived in, in Prague in Eastern Europe and I was, I was a consultant at the time. And I was, uh, I was working with clients in Eastern Europe, like in, in Russia and Serbia and Romania and, and Czech Republic. And uh, here's the thing. I was, I was disconnected from my, my sort of chaser dude self, but I was, you know, here's the deal. I feel like I'm a born adventurer. And then I was doing a different kind of adventure. You know, I was, I was living in, in, in Eastern Europe and I was, I was road tripping to the far corners of Eastern Europe, like the countries that aren't in the EU. I mean, like the frontier land, like, you know, when you really get on the edge of Europe. And I'll tell you, man, it, it was very exciting and, and, and crazy in its own way. And so I think it, it kind of scratched the adventure itch. So I, even though I was kind of bummed that I was missing some of the hurricane action, you know, it was a phase of my life where I was just kind of doing something different and, and having, I guess, different kinds of adventures. What caused you to suddenly decide, okay, no, I'm going to set this aside and I'm going to become a full-time chaser? Actually, it was uh, it was 2005. Okay, so that season, the, the the season of Katrina. So during Katrina, I actually was living in Europe. I was uh, I, I miss Katrina, and then I was back. Um, I was visiting my parents that October, and uh, while I was in New York, that's where I'm from. My, I was visiting my parents. There was a hurricane brewing in the Caribbean, and uh, it was Wilma, which hit Florida. And I just went and chased it. I hadn't chased in years. Um, I went and chased it and it was a, it was an intense hurricane. It was kind of had a scary moment. I was down in Everglades city, which the storm surge came in, got trapped, all that. I was a little freaked out. I found it so invigorating. I just felt so alive. And, and after that, I was like, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna neglect this part of me anymore. Like it just reawakened it. And I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna make sure I never, ever 
neglect this this need again and that was like 2005 is when I kind of reawakened rededicated myself and then just went hardcore pedal to the metal uh, you, yeah and you've it's amazing some of the chases you've done um, of course I've watched a lot of the videos on YouTube with iCyclone and and fantastic but with the new series um, and we'll just go ahead and get started with episode one because I think this was a very pivotal pivotal I can't even speak English today because it's Monday but <laughs> Monday yeah it's very Monday uh, but that said that was a hurricane that kind of it was like a paradigm shift for you and that's high end and that's in the field it's typhoon it, which is the same thing as yeah. a hurricane that's just what they call them over there um, which exactly. you said would have been a category six <laughs> I mean, it was just yeah. that bad in the Philippines. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and how it changed how you kind of view um, what you do and, and, and the destruction and everything about chasing. Yeah, super typhoon high end in the Philippines. That was definitely one of the one of the memories that's just it's seared into my mind. It was, uh, as you said, it was the equivalent of a, of a Category Five hurricane. It was just it was uh, extremely intense. It came ashore with estimated winds of 190 miles an hour in the Philippines. Um, and Philippine, the Philippines um, is, is basically is the world capital for hurricanes. Like you said, they call them typhoons over there, but it's the same thing. But they are the world capital. So the U.S. in the last 170 years has had four Category Five impacts. Over all those years, the Philippines has a Category Five impact probably every four years. So it, it, it's just it's nuts. It is it is central. So anyway, so Super Typhoon Haiyan struck, and I was in a city of a, a pretty big city, like two hundred thousand people, called Tacloban City, and it's in the central Philippines. And it's a it's a low lying, it's a densely populated low lying city on the tip of the peninsula at the top of the bay. And the typhoon was very intense, very fast moving. And the way it moved and where it hit, it was, it actually, it's interesting. It aimed perfectly to inflict maximum destruction on, uh, this city, much the same way that Katrina aimed perfectly to inflict maximum destruction on the coast of Mississippi. Like, like Katrina's landfall point right at the Louisiana Mississippi state line. That was like perfect aim to just wipe out the Mississippi coast. Like it could not have been a worse track. So this typhoon in uh, in the Philippines was that. Um, at the height of the storm, the whole city went underwater. And the the thing about this storm surge was it came in really fast, like a tsunami. It rushed into the city so fast, thousands died because they couldn't get out of the way in time. Hmm. Uh, my hotel went underwater. Um, people on the first floor were trapped in, in rooms, uh, and, and me and a couple other guys jumped in the water. I thought I was going to see people die in front of me. I was, at the, I was on the second floor. We jumped in the water, um, waded over to the rooms where people were trapped. We smashed the windows. We pulled them out, put them on mattresses. You know, I was carrying children upstairs, just trying to get everybody up to the second floor. Um, we got through it. No one in the hotel died. There were injuries, but no one died. So we felt really good about that, but we came out afterward and, uh, you know, it was the most ghastly aftermath I've ever seen. Um, whole neighborhoods just flattened. I couldn't even find the streets of dead bodies everywhere. Um, just, it, it was just, I can't put it into words. And it was, uh, you know, my whole life I, I've had this kind of conflict between you know, being very excited about the, you know, the, the spectacle, you know, the majestic spectacle that is a hurricane and then the misery they cause and, and how sad that, you know, that makes me. And, and Haiyan really drove that home. And I was, uh, 
I, I kind of shut my emotions off while I was there because I needed to figure out how to survive the situation. I was stuck there for days and then get home. Um, but then what was interesting, once I got home and I was in a safe place and I had kind of um, uh, sort of space you know, to have, have feelings, I was really very emotional about it. And uh, I didn't want to chase for a while. I was kind of, I felt like I was, I don't want to do that again. The urge came back, but it took a while. The experience really rattled me. I can imagine. I, a few weeks ago, right after the tornado hit Rolling Fork, I was driving into Rolling Fork, and I literally had PTSD of what the debris and the damage I saw after Katrina because it looked just the same, you know. And, and that's the thing you're talking. Oh, interesting. You're talking about high end. You're talking about 190 miles an hour. That's like an EF four, almost EF five tornado. That's that big. Plus, you have storm surge on top of it. And the thing was, I mean, you were with James Reynolds and Mark Thomas, who you have chased with over in in the the Pacific and Mark cuts his leg. And so yeah. he cuts his leg and you're in like polluted storm water. And then the water starts to go down and you look around and you don't know how you're going to get out and you don't know how you're going to get medical uh, care for Mark's leg. I mean, that had to be a really nerve wracking and scary moment for y'all because you didn't know how you get out. And then a helicopter shows up. Yeah. Mark's injury, you know, Mark was one of the guys who was in that water with me rescuing people and for some reason I was just wearing athletic shorts and I was in that same water and I was just lucky my legs did not hit any of the debris in that filthy water it was under the water so you couldn't see it his leg did like you said it was cut open and I'll tell you that injury was so it was so infected he when he got back to Taiwan he's British but his wife is Taiwanese and uh, that's where he lives when he got back to Taiwan by the time we got off that island and he got home they had to rush him to the hospital. He was a day away from having to get his leg amputated because it was so infected. Um, you know, and, and, and thank God Taiwan had some of the best medical care in the world, so they were able to save his leg. But that, yeah, it, was, it was really serious. And we knew at the time it was serious because it was uh, the feelings he was having and stuff. We, we could tell it was, it was going south for him. He was, he was in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And how, did, how did that helicopter just show up? Because that was like a total answer to a prayer, I would imagine. Um, it was, uh, it was a military chopper and I, I don't, you know, it's just been so long ago. It was just, there were, there were, there were a couple, there was a day or two where it just, the island was just, or the, the peninsula where we were was completely cut off. And then sort of there started to be some, you know, planes and helicopters landing because they knew there was a disaster. Yeah. It reminded me of that Charlie Sheen when I can't remember the movie now, the Vietnam movie where he's flying out and he's right. looking around as, I mean, cause you're shooting, you can finally, cause when a lot of times when you're on the ground, you, you're not getting the 30,000 foot thing, but then you're sitting there looking at the total damage at that point. It was, I mean, even watching it on television, it was breathtaking. It, it really was. It was unbelievable. And, um, and I'll tell you, you know, a lot of times, like up until that point, my chasing was very kind of like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Like I just go in, do the chase, leave and yeah. be done with it. That was a place where I actually developed kind of a connection with it. And I went back a couple of times. I went back three months later to just, I don't know, I just wanted to reconnect, see the people I you know, that I'd survived the storm with or that I'd rescued, just see them, see that they were well and see the city trying to kind of repair. Of course, three months after it was, it was still pretty banged up. And I also went to do some research. Um, and then I went back a year later and, uh, and that was really kind of healing, you know, just because the city was, it was doing much better. There was a, they still hadn't found all the bodies, but there was a feeling of just like, you know, Phoenix rising from the ashes, kind of like, you know, 
sort of like Bay St. Louis and past Christiane and those cities that got just devastated in Katrina. There's this feeling of like, wow, you know, it's coming back and it feels really good. And what's interesting is we're now at the 10-year anniversary of High End. November is going to be, and I'm thinking to maybe go. Oh, yeah. Because I want to, again, reconnect. It was such a big event in, in my life personally. Yeah, that'll be a great. That would be a really great episode too. To kind of just kind of do a before and after on that. I know on, on along the Gulf Coast. I remember when the Walmart opened um, in past Christiane. That was like a huge moment. And and you know, I mean, it used to be you uh-huh. couldn't get any food unless you went to the interstate. So then when suddenly restaurants started wow. opening up, and and it was just wow. it was those little moments like that. Oh yeah, we can flush our toilets now. You know, just the, the little things on, yeah. on, on on the recovery. On um, and I could see that. Um, and I can un- totally understand your your attachment to it because, like I said, it was such a personal moment. Dorian was obviously a huge moment because I thought you were dead, and I think half the world did on that one. Um, yeah. the, the huge, just absolutely monster hurricane that hit the Bahamas. You were there in uh, an area called Marsh Harbor. And tell us a little bit about that because, like I said, Twitter announced you dead. And so, um, obviously, unless you're Lazarus, um, you were not dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry, I shouldn't laugh because that was really uh, Dorian Hurricane Dorian was I would say the the I call it the the sort of the holy grail for me as a chaser. So it was when it struck Great Abaco Island. It, it was tied with the 1935 Labor Day storm in Florida as the strongest oh, yeah. known landfalling hurricane in North America, um, based on the estimated sustained winds for 185. So I was in Barst Harbor, which is sort of like the capital of. Great Abaco Island, and yeah, that 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 eye passed right over us, and uh, that 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 was just it was just like a it was like the perfect specimen that that would have been a Category Six if there was a six on on our scale. Um, I just remember I was writing it out in a small concrete classroom on a hill. Um, that's where I decided to write out the storm. I knew I had to really kind of be in a concrete building for that one, and I was with. 10 or 11 people that I didn't know. And uh, I just remember, you know, that, that wind, you know, you, you, you looked at this through the cracks and the cyclone shutters on the downwind side of the room and you couldn't see anything outside. It was just, everything just turned white. You could just kind of see debris flying by, but it, but it was like being inside a washing machine and the force of the wind hitting the walls. It was like sledgehammers. I mean, it was just, it was this really literally terrifying ferocity. You just felt like the whole room was just going to come crashing down at any second and then um and then we got in the eye everything calmed down the sun came out and it was all the trees were just sticks the cars in the parking lot just thrown around like toys uh, torn open the engines torn out just from the force of the wind <laughs> like oh, wow. crazy crazy stuff you know, the um, large parts of the building had collapsed. Uh, you know, it was just, uh, we had to relocate during the eye to another. Um, and, and my car was, the car next to mine just totally blew away. I don't know what happened to it. Mine was still there. This little tiny car. just was, I, I was going to ask you this real quick. And, and like I said, we're not done with Dorian. But I, do when you walk up to a rental, rental car counter, do they just like get terrified because they know that that car may not come back? No, I, I take care of the cars. And by the way, where where um, the the where I brought the car was, I think that what I heard was where I rented the car in um, in Great Abacar. Remember, the whole island just got devastated, yeah. and I think that they lost most of their fleet because it was it, it, the, where their fleet was was was. Uh, oh, it, it got yeah. the storm surge got it. So I was. You did my, a favor. The car that I rented was was saved yeah. because it was I took it to high ground. So. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, every car in the island was damaged, but for some reason, I mean, mine didn't even have like a crack in the windshield, even though the one next to it blew away. Okay, so they're so, glad uh, to see you coming because you take good care of them then. So that's good. Okay. I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say that, but I always say this to storm chasers: when you rent a car, you treat it like it's your own. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you. It's not a toy. It's not something to have fun with. You treat it literally like it's your car, meaning you, you know, you stow it, you protect it properly, and most important, you keep it above. You like like the most amateur stupid move is to get the car flooded. You yeah. know, like a storm chaser should know. It's like the, like you you should you should never make that mistake. You know, these are really important things. I always say that to like any young storm chaser. Well, at the, at the end of the day, it's how you're going to get out of the area too. So you kind of need it. So you want to take good care of it. Yeah, and it's also about being resp- you know yeah. a responsible grown up as well. You know, I think that's really important. Yeah. Uh, I, I keep telling myself that, too. I need to be a responsible grown-up. So I tell you what, this is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. We've been talking with Josh Morgerman. His new show is Mission Hurricane. It's on Weather Spy. Highly recommend it. Fantastic as well. Talking a little bit about his, um, of course, love of chasing hurricanes and the adrenaline and the science that comes from it. And uh, we were talking about Dorian, of course, which was a, a hailstorm. It was a really, really intense hurricane. And like I said, you were literally in a brick or a concrete concrete school and during the eye y'all had what what at what point did you say okay we got to get out of here and how far was it from there to where you ended up evacuating to so we got out we're in the eye and uh you know it's just the place is all smashed up and we could see large parts of the building had caved in our room was actually okay but we knew it was not okay to to stay there for the second half of the hurricane so um we had to find somewhere else. Now, the problem was we had no connection to the outside world, meaning no radar, meaning I had no idea when the backside of the hurricane was going to hit. And these are the kinds of winds. If you're out caught on the road in these kinds of winds, this is like you're dead, like the flying debris. You're yeah. just literally you're dead. So it was a scary thing. And the roads were kind of blocked with debris. But, you know, um, I out of the 11, I think, people I was with, or 10, um, out of all of them, I was one of three that had a functioning car. So we piled into all three cars, like, you know, my car and the other two, and we just kind of caravan down the road. And thank God it was only two thirds of a mile away, but it felt further. There was a big government building, a really, really solid building. And the Bahamians, they really know how to build for hurricanes. And this is a super solid building. And when we got there, just it just seemed like hundreds of people from every direction were running for this building because their houses collapsed or they had swum, they'd swum for their lives just minutes before. And everyone was just, ramming into this building uh, because they knew the second half of the hurricane was coming. It was the most apocalyptic vision. Yeah, no, I mean, it, of course, number one, the Bahamas are not very high. A lot of people realize that. There was like in Marsh Harbor, there's a huge Haitian immigrant population. They yes. they were brutalized. I mean, they lost a lot of lives. Nobody will ever really know how many people died from that. And you're sitting there yes. and, and you're in this building. You are safe at that point, but the world doesn't know that. And the images are coming out. What the, I remember the first images I saw of it. It literally looked like a bomb had gone off, like a nuclear bomb. There was just nothing. It was just incredible. So everybody thought you had, had died. And except for your mom, I'll give her credit. She knew somehow. Yes, she she has some. She she's she's completely hardened after all these years. I mean, like I used to. My parents used to get very upset about the chasing. They really it would really upset them. And I think after years and years, they just like I say, my mother's just covered with emotional scar tissue, so she can't. <laughs> 
feel anything anymore when it comes to my chasing. And I remember one of my cousins called her to just sort of express condolences about what was apparently my demise. My mother said, he's fine. He's alive. I know he is. (laughs) Just somehow she knew. (laughs) So, I mean, like literally when you like get back to cell phone rage, your phone must have just exploded. Oh, it was nuts. It literally was like, a, it was like ping, 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 ping. I mean, it was just nonstop and it was crazy. And I didn't know, you know, it didn't occur to me, you know, after most of my chases, there is a little bit of that where I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm incommunicado for a while and there's some people express concern, but this was out of control. I mean, it was like just the folks saying I was presumed dead and just the amount of messages that I got just from people that I went to Harvard with from like, you know, 25 years before. I mean, it was just like, it was crazy and i think like i gained fifty thousand new twitter followers wow. in that three days i think people had this morbid curiosity and that's why they followed me because they wanted to you know i think people like to look at car wrecks and that's what they perceived this to be so uh yeah it was, it was something else i looked terrible by the way i did tv afterward and i'd, I'd I lived on the island for days. You know, I was living in my car, and I had—I was very carefully rationing my food, which was just nuts and peanut butter and some crackers. And uh, I um, lost a lot of weight. I looked like ghastly. You looked like Tom Hanks with your volleyball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just like my face sunk in. I mean, I really, really like looked terrible. I mean, I gained the weight back quickly, but uh, yeah, it was something. Did it change? Did that change how you kind of plan? Because, like I said, a big part of what you do is logistics, and it's just you've got to get there, you've got to do it safely, you've got to know where the right spot is. Like you said, if you stick your head out in the wrong place, you can get hit by a piece of debris and have your head cut off. So there's so much planning that's involved in what you do. Did that that one in high end kind of change how you kind of plan and say, okay, I could be stuck here for a long time? It didn't change how I planned because actually Dorian, Dorian, I executed the chase properly. I did yeah. everything correctly. The, um, what, what it did change for me was my attitude and my mindset. So I remember during Dorian when I was just trapped there, I started to get a freaked out like feeling of like, oh my god, like what's going to happen to me? When how am I going to get off this island? And I started to kind of panic. And then some other side of me, like you know, the tough side of me, said to the weaker side. Hey, you know, you want to be this big shot who's hunting down Category 5 hurricanes and little island nations? Like, this is part of the territory. You signed up for this, so get over it. <laughs> and and I just know, literally, from that point on, I was like, you know what? This is part yeah. of it. And it's like, if I don't like this, I don't have to do it. And then from then, I just got kind of zen. Honestly, I just said, you know, I'll get off this island when I get off. And, I, you know, it was cool. I was able to be helpful. You know, I had a functioning car, so I was like... I brought one guy to the medical clinic. I brought another guy to his wrecked house to get his stuff. I just tried to be useful yeah. while I was there. And uh, and that was cool, just like helping out a little, you know, in, in, way, in any ways that I could. And then, of course, coming back to the United States with this story, because I think I, I really wanted people to see what happened there, because because that's how the that's how the help comes when people see the images. Exactly. Oh, oh no, no doubt. I mean, that was I mean, even the thing here in Mississippi, it was like getting our story out was so important. And, you know, yep. you know, because obviously for for good reason, there was a lot of focus on New Orleans because they went through uh-huh. a lot of suffering. But a lot of there wasn't as much attention in Mississippi. And so it was, you know, God bless. Uh-huh. I, mean, I think Cantori was here and Joe Scarborough did yeah. a good job. Robin Roberts. There was a there was a handful of folks that really did a good job telling our story. But what you do is that and I think there's another big value to this. Like I said, the show Mission Hurricane is incredibly entertaining, but also if you do, you live in an area that gets impacted by hurricanes and you've never been through one, you watch that show and you realize, okay, I need to heed any warnings and evacuate when I need to evacuate. 
I'm glad you said that because that that's one of the things I hope that people take away from that. I think a lot of people, until they've been in a bad hurricane, they have no concept. They think it's like a lot of rain or something. They don't they don't know how scary and crazy it is. And and I I hope that the show conveys that. No, it does does a great job. Let's talk about this season. Um, and obviously your plans. I know you're getting everything your ducks in a row and getting ready. So you're you're building a house and you're going to travel around the world at the same time. So that's that's good multitasking. Well done. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm actually, you know, I am, I'm going to be finishing up the house, my house in Bay St. Louis this summer. And I'm kind of, honestly, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the, uh, there's not too much far away action because I'll tell you, I mean, anyone who's built a house knows, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's like having a baby and you're really focused on it. And it's like, I don't want to be like, you know, torn from it. I want to just see it through and not be distracted by having to go on overseas adventures. But, you know, if I, if, if, if the, if the typhoons call, I will go. Yeah, the typhoons thing. I mean, like you said, you you didn't really do that before, but then it kind of slowed down in in the North American area, and so you went over there. And I think you really enjoyed doing that too. Now, don't you? Yeah, I do. You know, what's interesting is that that when you look at the world as a whole, it, it, there's it, the hot spot for where hurricanes or typhoons are hitting. It kind of moves around. So during the teens. Um, it, it, we were having a big dry spell in the Atlantic and the United States. We weren't getting a lot of hurricanes, whereas East Asia was crazy with the typhoons. And now it's kind of reversed. We're getting slammed in the Atlantic and specifically the United States. I mean, we've had six really bad hurricane seasons in a row, whereas East Asia, it's been actually kind of quiet, you know, and that's sort of typical that the hotspot kind of moves around like that. So is the hotspot going to stay over the United States and the Gulf, or is it going to move somewhere else? Hard to know, but there's some indications that it might shift. It might shift. Okay, so we're we're looking at an El Nino. There was an El. I saw an El right. Nino watch. So we're looking at that, and of course, the water right now is incredibly warm down in the area where they form. So, uh, like you said, we don't really know at this point. I saw the. I guess uh, Colorado State's. I guess they did thirteen, uh, six, uh, thirteen yeah. name storms, six hurricanes, two majors, which is pretty average. It sounds right. like year. So. I hope you're bored. I mean, I hope you're bored personally. And, and, you know, I mean, the United States, you know, but not for you, but just for for us. Listen, listen, I I, I always say I don't hope for hurricanes to hit. I just hope that I'll be there to document them. But the two what's interesting is the two things you mentioned are actually conflicting um, factors. So El Nino tends to cool off the activity in the Atlantic but enhance activity in the Pacific, so which is good for the United States because all the hurricanes that hit the United States come from the Atlantic. So El Nino tends to hurt or slow down Atlantic hurricane activity, but as you pointed out as well, the, the sea surface temperatures in the Gulf of Mexico, the Caribbean, all these places are way above normal, so that that suggests okay maybe maybe the atlantic will overcome the suppressive factor of el nino so with these conflicting signals it makes the the seasonal forecast this year a little tricky and i think the the colorado state they they sort of talked about that how they're not totally sure yeah yeah okay we got about a minute left uh, give us one more pitch about the show because like i said it's fantastic you've got six episodes out now how many are going to be out with this season there's a 13 episodes overall, the pilot plus 12, and we're right in, we're right in mid-season now. Now, we're almost done with the first block, then they're going to take a break, and then the second block they're going to air. The next six episodes are going to air, I think, during hurricane season. I think it's a great show. It uh, brings you around the world uh, to show you not just how uh, how Americans deal with hurricanes, but also other parts of the world. And, uh, I, you know, each each location, each episode is just like a different place on the earth. I think it's a, I think it's a really cool, exciting show. It just, um, you know, it's 
uh, it's it's hurricanes and travel and adventure and science all in one. It is a great travel show. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but I really have enjoyed that part of it as well. And uh, your legal thing is a lot stronger than ours. Uh, definitely, definitely take the advice what it says in the legal warning on it. Do not try this at home. Oh, yeah, they put that on at the last. I was like, I saw that just at a final, like, um, uh, pre sort of airing, and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that was pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. yeah don't, don't try this because because we won't be sued. Okay. Um, thank you again. Uh, you got a website or social. What's the best way for folks to find out more about you? Yeah, you can follow me on uh, Twitter, Facebook, or, or uh, Instagram. It's iCyclone, the letter I and the word cyclone, iCyclone, if you want to follow my adventures. Well, thank you, Josh. Thanks. I mean, it's just get to, good to meet you officially uh, via microphone and talking, and thank you for being on today. Marshall, thank you so much. So great to finally like connect like this, and let's um, let's hang when you're down on the coast. That sounds great. All right, and thank you for listening. I want a special thanks to our guest, Josh Morgerman, for joining us today. And if you'd like to hear this or any past episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app or on our MPB public media app. Now You're Talking is a production of MPB Think Radio with episode and podcast produced by the incredible Jermaine Flood. Hey, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit up next, and join us again next Monday at 10 o'clock. I'm Marshall Ramsey. I hope you have an amazing week. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.